Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Cole Miller, and a special guest from the Twitterverse, one of their very own, someone who is absolutely beloved on the social media platform, now doing great work with the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast, which Cole and I were, were just on last night with Raphael covering some of the bigs in this upcoming NBA Draft class. We were going to have Rich on to talk about some of the quote-unquote top performers from the NCAA tournament, but given when I scheduled this podcast to actually be recorded, it only makes sense to be talking about the NBA trade deadline moves. We do pivot to NBA talk when something is very relevant, very prominent, because at the end of the day, we're a scouting podcast and a draft podcast, sure, but... All of these guys are trying to emulate and play in the NBA and play around everybody else on these teams. So when there's moves and things to be talked about, that's where we're going to pivot our conversation. So we're happy to have in Mavs Draft. Rich, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. I, uh, I can't really say I expected the deadline to play out how it did today. So it's uh, surprisingly good. Yeah, I, I was maybe thinking that we'd sprinkle in a few topics at the start and then we would kind of go into that other stuff. But some of these moves just kept pouring out and eventually it was like, all right, I, I think we need to just pivot fully to the NBA trade deadline because there's so much to cover. Now, in your name, Mavs draft, the Mavericks made a splash move, I guess what you would consider towards the end, leading up to the very end of that deadline when they traded for jj reddick now i'm gonna have our producer as we go through some of these moves kevin's gonna read through the terms of some of these trades so kevin why don't you start it off start us off with that mavericks new orleans trade all right so dallas is gonna receive jj reddick and nicolo melli and then uh new orleans is receiving james johnson with a one do and a second round pick so i guess i'll kick it over to you rich i mean my opinion would be, I, I guess this is the Dallas telling everyone that they messed up trading away Seth Curry, potentially, because they're basically getting that same level of shooter back in this deal and admitting that Josh Richardson wasn't fully that guy, at least that they thought he was going to be. They need to use him in a different role, but now they bring in somebody like Redick to kind of eat up those touches and those shots that were Seth Curry's last year. How do you like the trade, Rich? How do you see this playing out for Dallas? Right. Yeah, no, the shooting became a clear need. I mean, it had been pretty obvious. I mean, in the first five games, you could tell shooting was going to be a struggle. And for the first month, I mean, the Mavs were the last team, the last in three-point shootings in the NBA. So, you know, it's it's something that needed to be addressed. And the Mavs gave up virtually nothing. I mean, the arguably would be close to the 50th pick. Um, you know, James Johnson wasn't ever going to be a long-term piece. Wes Wundu was a throw-in. So I, I like it. You know, the Mavs offense, the best thing I've seen is from last year to this year, the biggest drop off is the fact that they don't have anybody who does a give and go anymore. It's a pretty rare thing to see. Uh, and that was what made the Mavs the number one offense last year. But this year, it's just really fallen off. There's less shooting. There's less guys to run, give and go with. I think this helps a lot in the Mavs. I tweeted this earlier in the month. But the Mavs just don't have someone who can come around screens or didn't before today that can just come around screens and instantly shoot. That was not a thing. So I really like this. I think he opens up a lot of the floor and he makes, and he's a good passer. He's an underrated passer. So that also helps coming off of screens. Yeah. Just his movement, the, the, the type of gravity that that's a very popular word to use yep. nowadays when talking about the game of basketball, I found myself using it a few times this week when I was on some of the other shows that I was, but yeah, the type of gravity, all the attention that he attracts, only opens things up for Luca and Porzingis. Cole, I'll kick this question over to you, and then, Rich, I would want your thoughts on this as well. But do you think that Porzingis and Redick can maybe have, like, a little chemistry recreation of some of the ways that Embiid and Redick found themselves working together in Philadelphia? Because that's probably the one dimension of this, other than just Luca having another target to be able to kick out to. That's the other dimension to me that could potentially really benefit Dallas here. Oh, absolutely. And you, you kind of read my notes right off my screen here. Um, I think there's definitely some chemistry to be worked out there between those two. And Porzingis is arguably a better shooter than Embiid. He can do a little bit more off the bounce, although Embiid is showing he can do that this year too. Um, but it's it's still Porzingis' calling card more so. Um, so I think 
that threat uh, is definitely going to help open up Dallas's offense, like you guys mentioned. Um, aesthetically, it'll be nicer to watch Dallas's offense because they were missing that shooting. But I don't think AJ can really defend anybody at a high level anymore. So I question that this move really does anything to put them over, uh, you know, the hurdles that are in front of them. Yeah, Rich, yeah, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be it's not going to be like this revolutionizing offensive move. I don't, I don't think he moves the needle that much because at the end of the day, he's just going to be a bench player. He's probably going to be the sixth to eighth man off the bench, you know, and, or sorry, on the team coming off the bench. He's not going to do a ton, but he makes it so that the Mavs don't go dry as often. And I think that's really big. And to answer your question about uh, Porzingis with Redick, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, Porzingis, I think, you know, he's scared. He doesn't really do the dribble handoffs. He's really hesitant to draw that contact on screens, hard screens like Embiid did, and I think that's what made that work. But I do think that with Porzingis, his kind of his passing's improved. I think it will help having another shooter like him that's constantly cutting. And overall, just I mean, again, it makes the offense better because the more movement in this offense, the better the Mavs are. So they get back Nicolo Melli in this trade they give up james johnson now rich when, when when i have been able to watch the mavericks this season i think that james johnson was actually a, a a pretty flying under the radar great piece for them to have because of his versatility at that forward spot his ability to defend multiple position multiple positions and then when you gave him the ball put it in his hands he can take somebody off the bounce if there's a mismatch and he can finish at the basket or he was even able to pull up in mid-range and, and hit some tough shots. Melly is not that same type of presence, although he is another big body he, he, uh, who can shoot. Do you see any kind of trade-off there? Do you think there's any positive or negative between that swap? Or do you think it's pretty much just going to play out the same in terms of impact for Dallas? Yeah, I don't see much changing. I personally don't think he's really going to be uh, getting any meaningful minutes. You know, at the worst, or at his best, excuse me, like the the best impact I can see is him getting, you know, if you need shooting, if just Porzingis is dry and you just need a last minute shooting, he's probably good for that. You know, because the Mavs run five out. I don't think the Pelicans really ran a lot of five out. Maybe that would help him. But I'm not getting my hopes up for him ever playing real minutes. Um, so I, I think he's just kind of a throw. And the same kind of thing for a one-do, you know, a one-do played spot minutes every once in a while. But that was pretty much it. Sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I don't really think there's much more to touch on in terms of that Dallas transaction. That's pretty clean cut and dry. They're, they're going to get what they can get out of Redick. And he's going to be a useful player in, in the playoffs. Again, not maybe like the biggest needle mover, as we all kind of agree on, but he's definitely going to be a veteran presence for that team as they look to make a playoff push, hopefully solidify themselves in that playing group or, or maybe higher. Who knows? We still have enough of the season left for them to keep pushing up that Western Conference standing. So Moving on to the Orlando Magic Fire Sale, as I'll call it. Now, we had reports for days leading up to the trade deadline that Aaron Gordon was going to be potentially on the move, that Fournier was being looked at as a potential add-in to some of those Gordon packages. Well, not only did those two end up getting moved to separate teams, we had Nikola Vucevic also moved. Now, there had been rumors, I think, throughout this season because of Orlando's for lack of a better word, decent performance in, in the least stern conference, as everybody <laughs> likes to joke around and call it. But uh, multiple injuries, sure, disappointing, but they didn't have the kind of season that they were hoping to have. So there were rumors that he could be moved, but you didn't see anybody really reporting that he was on the trade block. Like, that was a very surprising move to me. So why don't we actually start with Vucevic? Kevin, I'll let you read off the terms of the trade between the Magic and the Bulls. All right, so the Bulls ended up receiving Vucevic and Al Farouk Aminu, and then the Magic received Otto Porter, Wendell Carter Jr., and two first-round picks, 2021 and 2023, and the 2021 draft pick is top four protected. So this trade in particular, and you guys may disagree with me, that that would be perfectly good for conversation. I was disappointed with this trade. Not necessarily because I'm disappointed in the pieces that Orlando got back. Like, Porter's going to probably be a buyout guy, sure. They were able to get those two first-round picks, and I'm a Wendell Carter guy. I've always been a Wendell Carter guy, and I think that he could be a useful player for Orlando. But in terms of Vucevic going to the Bulls, I would have loved to see Vuce go to a contender. 
I, I think that he is probably one of the most consistent and underrated players league-wide. That dude is an absolute flamethrower scoring from anywhere on the court, quite literally anywhere, since he really extended his range a few years ago out to the three-point line. He's been a consistent pick-and-pop pick presence for Orlando. He's going to a Chicago Bulls team that they may be a playoff team this year, but another middling situation. Like, I don't see this Chicago Bulls team, even with Zach Levine and some of the other pieces they have there, being any better or more of a contender than when the or those Orlando teams were at their best when they were fully healthy. So I think it's a disappointing outcome for Vucevic. I would have loved to see him be traded into a better situation. But, Rich, what do you think about the trade on, on both sides? I, I know that from some of the Twitter reaction, I think you're pretty high on what the Magic were able to get out of it. But what do you think about both sides? Yeah, I, I really did like the Magic get. You know, my ideal scenario was I had told a couple people, Suns fans uh, that I'm close with, wanted to know what I thought would be an ideal thing. And I said a young player and one or two picks, depending on the quality of the young player. Um, and this that pretty much matched it. So I was happy with it. I didn't really see an issue uh, on that side. And a lot of people think the Magic sold low, but I, I don't see that. But for the Bulls, I think it was a good play. You know, now Zach Levine finally has a second star next to him. Uh, star is obviously a loose term, but I mean, they were both all-stars. I do also have concerns about how much damage the Bulls do in the playoffs, because if they match up against Brooklyn or Philadelphia, they, I mean, they have to be getting Miami. I mean, that's probably the best team they could get, right? Like that, that, that would be a dream. Because the I think it's what, four is where the drop-off is in the East. I think it's the top three are just pretty rough. And then everything else is it's Milwaukee, sorry, Milwaukee, Philly, and Brooklyn. And then it's after that, it's anyone goes. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that they could win a playoff series just based on how bad the top of the East is, depending on who they get. If they get any of Brooklyn, Philly, or Milwaukee, it's over. But um, I, I like it. I, the 2023 pick could be very risky. I don't really see an issue with the protections. I saw people saying the Magic messed up by having, you know, top four protections, but that would it's very unrealistic that either of those land in the top four so i i don't know the bulls is kind of hard does it really move the needle i don't know they need another guy there they really need to find something somehow quick to make it pay off well so so here's the thing like for the bulls i feel like that building your team around guys like levine and vucevic while vucevic showed strides in improving defensively as a rim protector in his time in Orlando. He's not exactly a defensive knockout piece. And we know about Levine's struggles on the defensive end, although his competitive fire has certainly improved defensively over the last few seasons as he kind of heard that criticism and knew that was a part of his game that he needed to improve. You at least see the effort night in, night out. So there's nothing to yep. necessarily complain about there. But a team built on what seems to be all offense and very little defense, it's like they're trying to play that Brooklyn Nets style in terms of we're just going to see if we can outscore you with like two to three guys a night. And then however the rest of the chips fall, that's going to determine if we win or lose the game. But Cole, I'll kick it over to you. What do you think about that sentiment? And especially on the Bulls side, how do you see this playing out with the Matty Gooch? Yeah, so I thought it was a pretty good move for them, honestly. Uh, I know Nate, you and I didn't think it was the move we wanted to see for Gooch in his career, but it makes the Bulls a lot better. And I think there is something to be said for Levine. And, and both Vooch now playing with, they're each going to be the best player either of them has played with. So I think there's something to be said with that. Uh, when you get two players of this magnitude together, good things happen on the court usually. And I want to see how that works out for them. And I don't think they're done reshaping this team at all. I mean, I think they're going to have to let what they have play out uh, the rest of the season. But come trade, uh, come draft time and the offseason, I think they'll be looking to reshape it further and try and add in some of those you know, defensive pieces or even two-way players uh, with some of the other uh, trade chips that they might still have left over right now. I mean, we, we've talked about it recently on a couple other podcasts. Offense is what gets paid in the league, and right now they've got a lot of it, and so they can afford to trade some of it off in the form of maybe Laurie Markkinen going forward. Um, so I think they're in a pretty good position now, honestly. They have two, two really prominent offensive pieces. That's more than uh, a lot of teams can say, uh, and I'm interested to see what they do going forward the rest of the year and then how they continue to reshape this team. In the offseason, what do you guys think uh, is kind of, you know, the move for them in the offseason? Well, I mean, two areas really stick out to me. The first being that when we talk about defense, they need to get better defensively on the wing. And the other part of that would be that they need a better playmaker 
running the show than necessarily yeah. asking Zach Levine to do everything in both aspects from shooting and scoring as well as playmaking for others because he's not that great of a playmaker. Cole, you and I have gone back and forth over the last like two years saying that the Bulls don't have a point guard who is excels at making everyone else better around them out of pick and roll sets. Like that, that has been a huge detriment to me of what this Bulls team has lacked and is missing. And they were potentially going to remedy that problem by trading for our producer, Kevin's favorite player. Lonzo did not end up being moved today at all. Rich, are you shocked that Lonzo wasn't moved at all, particularly to the Bulls who we thought that were gearing up for what seemed to be an arms race in the Eastern Conference? You thought that by adding Vooch, they were also going to go after Ball? Yeah, I, I was going to say, because I know um, y'all asked, you know, what the Bulls need to get better in the offseason. Yeah, Playmaker is it. I mean, Kobe White just doesn't do it. You know, and Sadoransky is a nice backup, but he's not he's not going to make everyone better. I, I am shocked that Lonzo Ball didn't get moved just because it seemed very David Griffin to capitalize on someone that you're not keeping because it seems like they're not going to keep him. So I, I was a little bit confused by it. Maybe they do a sign and trade or something in the offseason, but uh, I also don't exactly know the intricacies of the sign and trade and when you can and can't do it. So if they can, it makes sense. But it, and at the moment, it just seems weird that they didn't. The second big piece to the Orlando fire sale would be Aaron Gordon on his way to Denver. Kevin, if you wouldn't mind reading us the terms for the Denver trade. Yeah, let me hop in here real quick too. Uh, Cole, you mentioned about how Vucevic and... Levine would be playing with each other and how they're the best player they've each played with, right? Yeah. You forgot about Mo Bamba. Sure <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That, that superstar in the I'd making. The I don't think I'd be the first to forget about Mo Bamba. <laughs> Is Kevin O'Connor finally going to have his day with Mo Bamba? Could he potentially beat out Wendell Carter for the majority of the center minutes in Orlando? Don't get me wrong. I understand that Mo Bamba had that an underwhelming start to his career, but I, I still believe in that man. <laughs> I have a lot of faith he in him. He's out of Orlando. He's yeah, out of well, basically everybody does at this point, right? Hashtag how free Obama. All right, well, let me get into Aaron Gordon. So uh, the Nuggets receive Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark, and the Magic receive R.J. Hampton, Gary Harris, and a first-round pick in 2025 that is protected. Now, Rich, I'll turn to you immediately on this one, you being the Magic guy that you are. To me, this trade creates what I see to be as a logjam at the guard spots for Orlando and Cole Anthony was one of my top prospects coming out of last year's draft class. And I think that he was making strides at the point guard spot, actually commanding the offense and he developed great chemistry with Vooch before he got hurt and has been out. What's likely to be still till um, after the trade deadline. I, I don't even know if Orlando may bring him back this year or not, depending on how things play out, who knows, they might just, have them continue to sit out and they give some of these other guys run. But how, how do you think bringing in RJ Hampton and Gary Harris plays out for, for Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony? What do you think it means for those guys? Yeah, it's, I don't think there's really too much of a log jam. I think they're kind of going with the talent over need or fit right now. They're just trying to get any talent they can. And if they have too much talent, you know, they can flip it for a star. Just try and develop guys, uh, twist the narrative, because, I mean, Orlando doesn't have a great reputation in development. So kind of flip the narrative and and get, you know, if RJ, Fultz, and Cole all hit, that's incredible. Because one way or another, I mean, you can get assets back, you can get a, you can make them, you know, a tradable piece. I, I like it. I don't think they have to worry too much. Now, if they all hit, you know, it's a good problem to have. If they all they all kind of bust then it's a terrible issue but I, I'm not worried about fit I'm just gonna say that to me outsider looking in we I, I don't work in Orlando I don't report out of Orlando but what this says to me specifically with the pieces that they wanted to bring back I think this says that they might be looking at a Fultz Hampton starting backcourt of the future with Cole Anthony potentially being in tow as a sixth man like to me this, this says that they looked at Cole negatively in terms of what he did from being the floor general and the man in charge for that offense. And maybe they see him more as a guy, a change of pace guy, a bucket getter off the bench. And that's maybe how they would see this potentially playing out for the backcourt if they keep 
all of these guys and if they all hit. Cole, what what are your thoughts on that? And then in in turn, when when you get done talking about that, what are your thoughts about Gordon going to the Nuggets? Yeah, I guess there's some potential there for these guys to step on each other's toes, but I really don't think that'll happen anytime soon. Um, if I don't, I haven't kept myself up to date with Fultz's recovery so far, but if they do anything like they did with Isaac last year, I don't see Fultz playing next year. So we're looking at we're looking at Anthony Hampton and Isaac back next year and Okiki um, to go with their young core. So uh, yeah, I'm kind of with Rich here. I don't see it really playing out in a bad way just anytime soon. Um, as, as for Gordon, I think it's a great move for Denver. Uh, God, I've, I've had so many conversations with basketball people over the years about how he needs to have the ball taken out of his hands and just play more of a, a tertiary role, letting his athleticism play up. Um, and I think that'll happen in Denver. Jamal Murray and Jokic are obviously, and, and Porter are the ball-dominant guys out there. So, I mean, having Gordon be able to play off them, I think is just going to be a nightmare for teams. And then also on the defensive end, how do you guys see playing, Gordon playing out in Denver? Well, I'll, I'll toss it over to, to, to Rich because that, that brings up a good point that I've always had about Aaron Gordon is that I've always thought that at his best, he'd be used as like a small ball center. And the Nuggets didn't retain Jeremy Grant. Obviously, they let, they let um, Plumlee go, and that's, that, that can sort of be replaced with, with the JaVale McGee trade that the team made. They brought him in as well. But when you talk about what Grant – is doing for Detroit and in turn what he did do for that team last year, they just kind of let that go. I guess they recognize and they're admitting that they were wrong and that they needed to replace some of that production. And what's really interesting is that when Jokic went to the bench, sometimes, especially during the bubble, they used Grant as kind of like a small ball five and more athletic lineups. And that to me would be like the perfect role for Gordon, not necessarily just throwing him into that starting four where he could replace what Grant did for that team last year next to Jokic. But also when Jokic leaves the court, Gordon can kind of be that very interesting small ball five to shake things up from an athletic standpoint. What, what are your thoughts on how you think Gordon's going to fit in in Denver, Rich? Yeah, I think he fits in really well. Um, I was doing a live show during the deadline and um, when it happened, I really, I, I just, I think the biggest thing was, you know, Jamal Murray, hasn't taken the step forward that we expected from the bubble, which I don't know. I was down on that, but I think he needed like the roster shakeup didn't help him. Like you said, kind of with losing Jeremy Grant, I think it hurt him in other ways, but I think getting someone like Aaron Gordon who can handle the ball and create for him. I think that's going to do a lot, a lot of wonders. And kind of like you said, with the defense, Aaron Gordon's an outstanding defender. I think a lot of people forget that. You know, I tweeted something. I was watching back the the Raptors series in 2019, and despite Kawhi making a ton of shots, Aaron Gordon played really good defense. Like he can stay in front of anybody, for the most part. You know, he may get pushed away a couple times, but he's strong. He's super athletic and just can make up for any play and has a strong IQ. I think uh, I think he's going to do wonders just all around for that team on both ends. Yeah, kind of like a Jeremy Grant plus yep. addition for that team. And that's that's definitely what they need as they look to make another deep playoff run. Now, moving to the last part of the Orlando fire sale would be Evan Fournier going to the Boston Celtics. Kevin, if you want to read off that trade really quick. Yeah. So the Magic are receiving Jeff Teague, but he will be instantly waived. So he'll never play a minute for the team. And then two second round picks. And the Celtics receive Evan Fournier. I got to be honest, guys, this trade doesn't move me whatsoever. I, I, I don't really think it's going to be that impactful for Boston. Sure, he's another guy who can catch and shoot with size. But at the same time, it's not like Fournier is this plus playmaker off the bounce. He, the, he wasn't even doing as much of that in Orlando as he did previously um, in, in Denver when he had that kind of role being this, this creator on the ball in terms of his shot making. So I, I personally don't really know what this does for Boston. He's not like a plus defender. They they kind of needed a little more defense on that team as well. So, I mean, Cole, I'll kick it over to you. Do you think this this does anything for Boston, or do you think it's kind of just Danny Ainge getting what he can get for cheap? I think it's more the latter. It, it kind of feels like Boston was looking around, and they're, they're seeing Miami get Oladipo, and they're seeing the Bulls, Lam and they're like, well, we got to do something here, so let's go get Evan Fournier for cheap. And that's what happened. And um, yeah, I, I mean, he's, I think he'll come off the bench for them. I, I would agree, or I, I don't know if you guys agree. I think Marcus Smart would probably uh, keep his spot in the starting lineup for the defensive purposes. Mm -hmm. that he uh, but yeah, I mean, there is, I guess, a glimmer of hope. And that glimmer makes it sound bleak, but I, 
he could go against second units in the playoffs and be a you know a pretty good effective offensive weapon. So there is that to to this. So I'm not really sure um, if there's any defense defensive upside for Fournier on the Celtics, and they kind of lost some defense with Tice. But I mean, yeah, I don't think this really does anything for the Celtics by and large, given everything that they've got going on this year. Rich, I'll pose the question yeah. to you like this: What they they obviously kept Marcus Smart. I think if Vooch was on the table to be had at a trade, I would have loved to see him end up somewhere like Boston, who is thought of as more of a contender, somebody who could move the needle, particularly down low for a team that hasn't had a post scorer or, or, or a big man offensive hub like he can be. Like, that would have been a trade I would have loved to see, but I guess they didn't want to part ways with Marcus Smart. So are you glad that they kept Marcus Smart? Do you think that was the right move to make? Or do you think if somebody could have been had, like a Vucevic or, or maybe even Aaron Gordon too, they were in the Aaron Gordon talks. I I think that Vooch to me, is a better all-around player than, than what Aaron Gordon has proven to be. Maybe I'm wrong about that in your eyes, but, but do you think they made the right move holding on the sport? Or do you think they should have definitely dangled him a little harder to get back a better piece than somebody like Fournier? No, I think they did a good job keeping him. Um, I don't really know what the value is of trading him at this point, especially because I feel like his value is lower than it normally would be. So I have reservations about that. Makes sense. Makes sense. And and he is like the heart and soul of that team. He definitely keeps a beat for them. So yeah, defensively, they don't quite have a, another weapon on that team that's as important as him. But just offensively, I, I, I don't know. Like everything seems to fall into Tatum and, and Brown's lap. And especially if, yep. if Kemba isn't going to be the same kind of player, if he's not going off on the point guard spot as he did in, in, in Charlotte. I mean, I, I don't know what other type of offense they're or value they're really going to get. So I, I guess we'll have to see how creative Brad Stevens can get with the team that he has and, and those moves made. Now, this next guy we're going to talk about, Victor Oladipo being moved to Kevin th this is your team well what I guess I should say one of your two two teams T Toronto is your other team but why don't you read off the terms of the Oladipo trade for us and then give us your thoughts being the Miami Heat fan that you are let me let me caveat that too I'm a Miami Heat fan first and I just love the players on Toronto so but <laughs> sure. always Miami first sure. for the record uh, but the trade was uh, Houston is going to receive Avery Bradley Kelly Olenek and a draft drop, and as of when I looked it up, it was not reported. And then Miami's receiving Victor Oladipo. And an interesting fact about this trade, apparently uh, Pat Riley waited till the last minute and refused to include Duncan Robinson, so Houston had to take this. That's such a good job as the owner or GM. Yeah, I mean, I, w I wouldn't have given up. I wouldn't have given up Duncan Robinson for for Oladipo in this package either. I think they they gave up enough. But Kevin, what are, what are your thoughts on the trade? Um, I mean, I'm happy about it. I would have preferred Lonzo. <laughs> like, if we're going to be straight up. But, you, I mean... You would have always preferred Lonzo. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Lonzo stan. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy with it. We get a little more star power. We trade away people that, to be frank, I, Bradley and Olenek, they're good pieces, but they're not old equal level pieces, right? And I can't imagine the draft swap is going to be too impactful for us, especially because we like to build through trades and free agency anyway. Um... I mean, I like it, but I like it only if the LaMarcus Aldridge uh, deal happens. The possibility of the LaMarcus Aldridge buyout signing, and they appear to be the favorites in, in the clubhouse to land them. So, Rich, with Aldridge potentially in the fold, with Oladipo in the fold, you were going over how you thought it was like three teams in the Eastern Conference and then everybody else to me. This puts Miami right back in that top of the East conversation. Do you think that with this move, they're solidifying themselves in like a top four in an Eastern Conference race, or do you think that they're still like a piece or two short of some of the other top teams? Yeah, I mean, they've gotten hotter over the recent, uh, honestly, over the last like month or month and a half, but I really, I'm not sold on Oladipo being a big needle threader. I just, I really don't know if he ever gets back to what he once was. I'm pretty out on, on that thought. So I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical he would need to really just become more efficient, which he hasn't shot over 42%, 40, yeah, 42% in four years, three years. Um, so that's something that worries me. I don't know how much it moves the needle again. It, it may just be the change of scenery helps him. And I might be completely eating my words, but 
I don't know. And on the other side, I like uh, I like I I really like how Miami gave up virtually nothing. I mean, Avery Bradley's <laughs> been a non-factor this year. Like, so even if he doesn't, even if Old Depot is the same version he was of himself in Houston, you still are getting a better player because I think Olenek and Avery Bradley are both going to be on the buyout market. Yeah, a, a rental for the playoff run at the very worst. Yeah. I agree, Cole. What, 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 if anything, really intrigues you about Oladipo's fit with Miami or potentially LaMarcus Aldridge's fit with Miami? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it helps them offensively. And at times, I think they've been kind of hurting offensively this year, especially with Hero struggling the way he has. Um, but I, it's funny. I didn't know the little bit about uh, Pat Riley holding out on Duncan Robinson because I'm sitting here looking at this trade and I'm like, why didn't the Heat make this two weeks ago if it took Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek? Like, why wouldn't they do that then? Um, but that would make much more sense that they were holding out on Duncan Robinson. So yeah, hats off to Pat Riley there. Um, no, Oladipo, in my opinion, kind of shot Indiana out of the playoffs very quickly last year at times. So I'm not sold on him either, really moving the, moving the needle that much for Miami. Um, I think they're kind of gearing up and just hoping to see what sticks. They got hot at the right time last year. And maybe that'll happen again this year, but I'm not sure it's in the cards. I mean, to me, I, I think a bigger piece than they were missing necessarily than like the offense from like a point guard or like a combo guard type spot, because they can get that in Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn when they're both on. Obviously, you have the shooting from from Duncan Robinson that he provides when he's spacing the floor. But to me, it's like that defense at the point of attack that this team potentially needs, because you you think about it, you're going to ask Butler to guard the other team's best player generally in a playoff series that's going to be a wing you have bam kind of patrolling the paint being a switchable defender defending in space doing what he does but you don't really have that guy at the point of attack rich and cole i'll pose the question to the both of you i know you're not high on oladipo's offense but do you think that maybe he could recapture some of that magic that he had being like a point of attack defender yeah i could see it i don't know if he'll ever be like the elite you know, like that he was perceived, but I mean, positive. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cole, what do you think? It'll help for sure. I mean, Avery Bradley wasn't doing that for them. So it's definitely a help, help in that regard. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what they got Avery Bradley to do. And he, he, he wasn't even doing that. So I, right, I, I think if Oladipo can at least provide that, and then you kind of get whatever else you get from his offense combined with the other guards you have in the backcourt, then I think it turns out to be a positive for them. And who knows, maybe he shocks all of us. And he starts playing like all-star Oladipo because he gets the change of scenery that he needed. And he's playing in heat culture and, and heat nation and heat vibes and all this other crap that they throw out uh, on social media. Like they, that, that's, that's a team of rough riders. Like they know yeah. how to get everybody else motivated in the locker room. Jimmy Butler is one of the best leaders in the entire league. Maybe all of that stuff gets Oladipo motivated and he recaptures a lot of that magic and he outperforms everyone's expectations, which if they did, I know Kevin would be happy about that. And I think that the heat could, knock off pretty much everybody in, in, in my eyes, except for maybe Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn's probably a little too strong at this point. If all three of those guys are clicking and they're playing somewhat uh, of team defense, at least like middle of the pack type defense, they're just so good offensively. Um, I guess moving on to another hopeful contender this time out West, the Los Angeles Clippers making a move to go and get, playoff rondo kevin why don't you read us the details on that one all right so the clippers are receiving rajon rondo the atlanta hawks are receiving uh, lou williams a 2023 second round pick via portland and a 2027 second round pick via clippers and then cash considerations as well so lemon pepper lou is on the move back to atlanta I know that Kevin loves that we could make that joke. And and this time, I, I can't stop even myself from making the joke. It's just too damn fitting at this point. But I, I guess I'll ask you, Rich, is playoff Rondo exactly what the Clippers needed? Do you think that he absolutely makes that difference for them? Or do you think that they're still potentially a cut below, like a, a Denver, a Utah, and obviously when the Lakers are back at full strength? Yeah, see, I don't feel like the uh, the lack of playmaking is exactly what was holding the Clippers back. Uh, and what's funny is even the Clippers being held back, they still have like the sixth best record in the league. I I think that it was what was holding them back. That it was fine to get rid of Lou Will. Um, his overall production was just down. You know, minutes were down, of course, too. But just didn't really feel like he was himself. The inconsistencies I saw it against Dallas the other, last week. But 
I, I really don't understand why they had to give up two seconds to get Rondo. Um, maybe they're hoping Rondo plays like LA Lakers Rondo, but I just, I really don't understand how that moves the needle that much. I felt like it was an overpay. I think they gave up the better player and they gave up two seconds, which while the second round picks probably won't amount to much, it's still the idea. I don't know. I wasn't a fan of the trade. Well, to me, the conundrum with the Clippers these last two years now has always been the defense. Like, you, you, they have so many talented defenders on that team, and for whatever reason, it's almost like they refuse to, to, to play high-level defense at times. Like, they just don't care about doing it. Like, you have Paul George, you have Kawhi, you have Pat Bev. How, how are teams putting up at, at sometimes egregious numbers on you and you're not even getting yourself back in the fight to, to punch back? Like, that, that to me is more of a conundrum than any of the potential playmaking issues they've had, although giving putting the ball in somebody like Rondo's hands definitely eases the amount of, of times that either Kawhi or Paul George, I guess particularly Paul George, has really been initiating a lot of the offense for that team of late. It, it takes a lot of that pressure off them. Cole, how do you feel about the move? I was pretty surprised by it. I don't think it does much for either team. Uh, I guess if you're the Clippers, you are kind of hoping for Rondo to be a tone setter and capture that lightning he has in the playoffs. Um, but the same token, if you're the Hawks, I figured you might want Rondo to be there for Trey Young's first playoff run and you know kind of be a little bit of a mentor on his side. And I don't think Lou Will really brings that aspect to it. And maybe Rondo doesn't either in terms of teaching young players. But I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of this one too much. I don't think it's it's going to do much for the Clippers there. And I agree with you, Nate. They, they do seem to refuse to play defense at times. So. That's that's really what I think and I hope Rondo can do for them is just be that that tone setter and be like, guys, what are you doing? Like, come on, you're better than that. You're Paul George, you're Kawhi Leonard. Like, let's go. It, it, it's amazing how a year ago the Clippers were one of the hottest topics in the NBA. Everyone was, ex everyone was excited to watch them and talk about them and see what they could do potentially coming out of the Western Conference hot off that Kawhi Leonard championship. And now you, you can just tell the, the energy for from us three – talking about them it feels like we, we don't want to talk about the Clippers like it, it's just amazing how that happens sometimes like these teams you put such great expectations on them and then they fall flat and it's like all right well let's go find the other new shiny toy to play with or, or, or talk about right so I guess moving on from from the Clippers because I think we're all in agreement I, we don't really see this as like a needle mover as, as much as the mainstream media would like you to believe the Toronto Raptors had a chance to really put themselves out there in terms of like major move on the day, maybe not necessarily in terms of what they're getting back, but what they could provide for another team. And they didn't pull the trigger on a Kyle Lowry trade. Um, and that's mainly in part to some of these other teams not wanting to give up major assets. The Heat didn't want to give up Tyler Hero in any kind of deal. The Lakers, who I thought that Lowry would have been a great, great, great get for them, especially with LeBron James and Anthony Davis being out. They, they could have used a star like Lowry to potentially hold the four together. The Lakers didn't want to give up on Taylor Horton Tucker, seeing him as a very valuable piece for, for the future. And, and, and kudos to them. Like, yeah, Taylor Horton Tucker is a very, very, very interesting prospect um, and, and a long-term play. But I still think it was surprising that they didn't pull the trigger on, on a Lowry trade because you figure this year – they want to try and win a championship. Definitely within the next two years, they want to win another one. But if Brooklyn doesn't win it this year, they kind of have the fallback excuse like, we were bringing in all these pieces. We have to find the chemistry, give us an offseason, a full offseason to really work with one another. And then next year, we'll come back in guns hot. Like if Brooklyn doesn't win it this year, I'd be willing to, to, to bet a considerable amount that they'll win it next year. And you figure that LeBron definitely wants to get another championship under his belt or as many championships as he possibly can. I would have thought they would have been a lot more motivated to make that deal. Maybe I'm right about that. Maybe I'm wrong. Rich, what's your take on the Raptors just holding on to Kyle Lowry, not willing to move him for just pieces? Yeah, I think maybe the loyalty factor may have kicked in and the emotional aspect. Um, you know, we've seen that happen a lot, I feel like, in, in the past. And sometimes we've seen it go both ways, positive and negative. Uh, maybe I'm biased as a Mavs fan with Dirk and everything, but – you know, I've seen stuff with Blake Griffin a few years ago where he was mad he got traded. Ultimately, I think they got to be confident in keeping Lowry long, uh, not necessarily long term, but this offseason, because I think it would be a mistake if they, if he ends up walking. They look silly, you know, even if you got Casey Paula or something for him in a trade, that would have been a lot better than nothing. 
Yeah, I agree. And kind of holding on to, to Lowry and, and keeping him on this team while the roster is in flux, while they made other moves to free up other roster spots. And you, you really think that, yeah, they have a few pieces like Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet at the same time. The, the guys around them, like they weren't performing up to a high enough level for this to be a real playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Like I would have thought that, yeah, it, you don't want to give Lowry up for nothing, but at the same time, you, you make a great point, Rich, he could walk, or you're potentially wasting the rest of the season for him when who knows, you might have been able to go somewhere else and win another championship. You would have thought that that aspect of loyalty might, might have kicked in for Masai Ujiri and the Raptors. But Cole, you have anything else to add in on, on Kyle Lowry not being moved? Uh, no, I, not too much. I think I made the point to you really early in the season. In fact, Nate, that, you know, Toronto's walking a dangerous line this year. They they can either, just based off the, the rest of the league, really, the way the Sixers are constructed and the Nets and the Lakers, like you pointed out, they either need to push all the chips in or they need to, you know, make the right trades and get back some assets and reset the window two or three years down the road from now. And, that, you know, they're kind of kind of not doing it all the way right now. They're hemming and hawing a little bit because of Lowry's, uh, you know, meaning to the franchise. And, and speaking of giving away good pieces, which led to, you know, so, some roster spots being freed up. I mean, one of those good pieces was Norman Powell and they made a trade to Portland. Kevin, I'll let you read off the terms of the trade. All right. So Toronto's actually receiving Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood, who the potential for a buyout I've been hearing. And then Portland receiving Norman Powell. And before I toss it over to you, Nate, did you hear the interesting fact about Gary Trent Jr. with this trade? I did not, but I would love for you to enlighten me. So both Gary Trent Jr. and his father got traded in their third season, 41 <laughs> games in, to Toronto. Oh, my right. God. Yeah. Can't make this up. You can't make it up. It's crazy. I just read that, and I was like, wow. He's writing the script. Yeah. I have the best guys <laughs> doing this podcast with me. Cole was an absolute all-star on the Locked On Draft podcast with some of the stats he was throwing around. Kevin just threw us one of the most incredible stats I've heard all week. It might be one of the most incredible stats I will have heard all of March. So kudos to you, my friend, for tossing that one in. I will not um, take all credit because it was not me finding it. I found it via Twitter. So thank you, random Twitter person that posted it. You, you did enough research to at least see it on Twitter. You know, I'd even, even scrolling through. I'm going to give you the credit anyway, Kevin. You're my guy. But what I'll say about this deal I was ready to come in guns hot being a little mad that Portland gave up on Gary Trent because he still has his youth. I mean, Gary Trent was one of my guys going back to his draft class. I had him as a lottery talent when a lot of people had soured on him and didn't have him anywhere close to the lottery, whether it was late first round or people even giving him like second round grades. He, he was my guy then. He was certainly my guy in the bubble when he was a flamethrower on offense, hitting so many important shots for the Trailblazers to, to let them even be in some of those games. But when you look at all the numbers between him and Norman Powell, Powell has been better than him this season in every single statistical category that you want to throw out there. So I guess I don't really have much of a beef to, to pick with Portland. I, I, I'm assuming that, that, Rich, I'll go to you first you're probably going to tell me that Portland definitely made the right move going to get Powell. So I actually, I feel like it was a very lateral move. I was not a fan of giving up on Gary Trent. I also am not a huge believer in Norm Powell's game being this for a continued period of time. Wow. Yeah, it's a hot take. I know. And he's been really good. I mean, he's flirting with 50, 40, 90. Like, I know this is a hot take, but I feel like his production almost makes him better makes him out to be better than he actually is. That's my worry. And I really do think Gary Trent um, is someone who would have fit perfectly with either CJ or Dame for long-term, you know, off ball. But of course he's cooled off over the last month. He started the season very hot, but I just, I don't know. It, it seemed like a weird move to me. I couldn't really wrap my head around the logic of it. So maybe I'm not the only person in that camp then. Maybe, maybe I, I have another co-pilot in, in that plane. And, and Rich, Cole, I know that, that you feel differently, and I definitely want to get your take now being the, the, the person who has the take on the, the other side of the flip of the coin. Yeah, I mean, it definitely gave up a, a very nice, interesting player in Gary Trent, and you got to give to get. And I think Norman Powell's having a career year, uh, and I think he will maintain this level of play for you know the rest of this season, and I think probably another season or two. Um, maybe not the 50, 40, 90, but he's, he is a very solid player. And I think 
he gives Portland a level of consistency in the backcourt they were missing um, outside of Dame and CJ. And I think he's going to help them, you know, give them a break the rest of the, the rest of the way, you know, Dame and CJ play so many big minutes <clears throat> in the regular season too, when some of the superstars on other teams don't have to do that necessarily because uh, they have to play from behind. And I think Norman Powell is going to help him on both sides of the ball. He's going to be, you know, he's, he's an off ball threat uh, and Dame and CJ are ball dominant guys. And so I think he's a very seamless fit to their offense. Uh, I know they gave up Gary Trent and yeah, I think in the long run, he would have fit nicely with, with Damon and CJ, but in the long run, who knows if Damon and CJ are there. So I think you have to kind of try and make this move for Portland. If you're Portland, uh, the doors are a little bit open in the West right now with AD and, and LeBron hurt. We don't know how they're going to come back just yet. Um, so I like it for Portland. They need to do something. I don't think Gary Trent was all of a sudden going to transform over the, the rest of the season and make them uh, a contender like Powell does. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense, too, that that's probably the, the main argument in defense for the Powell trade is that with, with LeBron and AD being out for the Lakers, that team's going to take a little bit of slide. If they don't come back whole or, or one of them doesn't come back, then the West is quite literally wide open. Like, sure, Utah's been really good this season. Denver obviously upgraded their roster with the Aaron Gordon move. But at the same time, I don't see those two as really being juggernauts that can't be beaten or – uh, the Clippers for that matter. So yeah, it, it could absolutely be time for Portland to, to get in win now mode and, and, and cash some of those chips. in. so I, I agree. I can see it both ways, but uh, Rich, I'll, I'll stand with you on this one, man. Be, being, being a Gary Trent guy, uh, it, it's sad to see him leave Portland and, and some of the stuff that he was doing there, but he could be an intriguing piece now for Toronto moving forward as, as they're going to look to, to rebuild or, or retool at some point here, probably this upcoming offseason, whichever way they go with, with Lowry, whether that's a sign and trade deal with him or whatever the case may be. So I, I guess I'll, I'll kick it over to the Washington Wizards, and then we'll save the hometown 76ers for Cole and I. We'll, we'll, we'll save the best for last. But, Kevin, why don't you read us some of the terms on, on what the Washington Wizards did today as far as the trade market? All right, so I'm just going to go through the entire three-way trade now, just so it'll be easy, mm -hmm. all in one go. So Boston's receiving Mo Wagner and Luke uh, Cornette. The Bulls are receiving Daniel Tice, Javante Green, Troy Brown Jr., and Cash Considerations. Then the Wizards are receiving Daniel Gafford. So the Wizards have needed a rim protector. They've needed an athletic setter. Not that Thomas Bryant doesn't necessarily give you either of those things, but he's not like the vertical threat that, that Gafford has proven that he is. So I think this is a potentially nice get for the Wizards. I guess my question to you, Rich, do you see Gafford coming in and eating up starting center minutes right away, even when Thomas Bryant is fully back in the fold? Do you see this becoming Gafford's job? Is that the main reason why they wanted to go out and get him? Yeah, I think so. And he was a guy who, I mean, I, I liked him in Chicago. Uh, going back to that Vucevic trade, that was the one downside, and I forgot to bring it up, but this is the one downside of that trade to me was who plays defense? And and we talked about it, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but that always seemed weird to me that that uh, they just dumped him. I thought he was good. I know he's kind of been in and out of the rotation at times, but Washington has definitely needed some defense badly. Like, that's been clearly the new front office's movement. I mean, they got Denny Abdia in the draft. They got Gafford, who I think is a quality big man. And he's an energy big. I really like it for them. I don't know how much it moves the needle. And I also don't know, though, how he plays when Thomas Bryant comes back, like how they fit, per se. Uh, and like you said, Thomas Bryant's just not really a defender. He's not going to protect the rim or anything. So I, I do like that pickup, though. And Mo Wagner's a guy who... I don't really see him as ever being a quality rotation piece. And then you get Dan Gafford, who I do see as a top nine player in a rotation. So I really like it for Washington. Cole, where, where are you at on, on everything with the trade? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in complete agreement there. I, I agree. The Bulls kind of just dumping Gafford didn't make sense for some of the moves they did to load up on offense today. Um, yeah, nice, nice get for the Wizards. They weren't really making use of Troy Brown Jr. and they needed some more defensive presence at the rim, so Gafford brings that. I still like Daniel Tice as a backup big in Chicago. I think that while he wasn't exactly the most quality starting center, 
he still did a lot of useful teams for that Boston Celtics team, particularly in the playoffs last year in the bubble. I thought that having a big like him who could potentially switch out of the perimeter and then when you put the ball in his hands at the top of the court on offense, he could he could somewhat make plays for, for others at times and be a little bit of a ball mover within that offense. So I think in a backup role, I still think he could be useful for a Chicago team that is now especially trying to make a playoff push. But yeah, he's not really like a needle mover per se at that center position. And I don't really have anything else to add about Mo Wagner either. I, I don't really know how useful if useful at all he's he's going to be to a Boston team. You figure that that Mo was still a, a guy who was trying to develop and get more used to the NBA game even now when you saw him play in Washington and putting that kind of a player on the court expecting him to do big things in a potentially high-profile playoff series. I don't know how much he moves the needle for that either. So I'm, I'm kind of indifferent on that part of the trade too. We are on a draft podcast, and, and Rich, we I wanted to have you on here for some draft thoughts. So you know what? Talking about Mo Wagner, we're going to get a draft point in here because I've been a little bit back and forth on his brother, Franz, and I'm going to catch you a little bit off guard here, but Cole and I have had conversations. I want to get your opinion. What do you think about Franz Wagner's brother? How high are you on him? Do you definitely think he's a surefire guy who's going to be better than his brother in the NBA? No. Uh, well, yes, he'll be better than his brother. I have no questions about that. I'm not sold on him. I think um, I have him late teens, uh, around 18, give or take. Uh, I think it's a little bit higher. It depends on the day. But my worry with him is that the idea of him is better than the actual player in him. I know a lot of draft Twitter has him top 10, top 12, pure lottery. I mean, I'm not there personally. Um, Again, I just kind of want to see a little bit more polish and just consistency. It may, I may be overrating how raw, or excuse me, I guess underrating how raw he is and how good he is at the same time. But I just, I really do feel like he's the kind of a guy that the idea of him is a lot better than the actual production and the value that he brings, at least early on. Uh, I could be wrong. Cole, do you want to give a case for, for Franz Wagner really quick before we move on? We got to squeeze in some kind of draft point on here. Yeah, no, I think Franz is pretty skilled in a number of ways. So I, I, I have him fairly high up my board. Um, I think he's a pretty good shooter for his age. I think he handles the ball pretty well. I think he's got a good feel for passing um, in some different areas. And I, I think it needs to be remembered that he's still 19 as a sophomore, so he's still very early in his learning curve. Uh, and so I think he can get better in all these on all those facets too. And that makes for a very interesting offensive player. And the one thing I do notice about him on film, I don't know if it necessarily translates, but it might. Um, he just seems to find his way into winning plays. Like he just has a nose for the ball, coming up with the ball uh, when it's loose and, and, you know, making a pass to a shooter that's open or, you know, scooping it up and scoring himself uh, in big moments for Michigan or coming up with a help side block in a big moment. So I think he's not, I think he does have a good feel for the game. Um, and, I, and I think the arrow is definitely pointing up for France. He's tough. He's competitive. He has that same fire as, as his brother, no doubt. And, and we're definitely going to go a little bit deeper into Franz Wagner's game and some upcoming shows. We haven't talked about him that much. I think we only brought him up on one previous mm -hmm. podcast, Cole. But yeah, he's definitely somebody that we're going to get a little more into. I just, I found an excuse to talk about something draft related and my friends, I was going to take it. So I had to get some thoughts in about Franz. But last but not least, the Philadelphia 76ers were expected to make a move for Kyle Lowry, just like Miami, just like LA. Seems like they did not want to part ways with some of their young pieces, so they found a way to make a trade for another point guard. Kevin, last but not least, why don't you wrap up reading off the trades with, with, with this one with Philly? It's a polarizing, isn't it, Nate, this trade? A lot of people have very different opinions on this. Yeah, I don't really know how to feel about it, to be honest. All right, well, so the Sixers are receiving George Hill and Izzy Brazdakis. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Uh, OKC is receiving Tony Bradley. Austin Rivers and two second round picks, the 2025 and 2026 second round picks. Um, and then the Knicks are receiving Terrence Ferguson, uh, Vincent Poirier, who Woj actually just reported they're waving him, so he's never gonna play for the Knicks. And then a 2021 second round pick via the Sixers. So it became a three-way trade. The main piece, obviously, being George Hill going to Philadelphia. So when the Bucks were able to get their hands on Hill. Everyone thought that he was going to be a fantastic contributor for that team, give them more of what they were potentially lacking from either an on-ball or an off-ball standpoint at the guard spot. 
none of that really panned out. Wasn't exactly the best on defense. Wasn't shooting the ball the way that he's proven he's capable of and in previous moments in his career. And he found his way in Oklahoma City. And now he finds his way in, in Philly. And they're going to look at him to probably do a lot of the things that Milwaukee thought he was going to do. But I don't know if he's still capable of doing those things. Maybe a change of scenery could help. Maybe just playing with a different cast of characters, potentially different expectations, could do something for him. I'm not really moved one way or the other by the deal, Rich. I don't know what your what your thoughts are, and then I'll kick it to Cole being the other hometown guy. Yeah, I mean George Hill's been solid this year when he played. Um, I think he's he was a really big part of the Thunder's early season success and them not being a bottom team. Obviously, he hasn't played in a bit. Um, you know, it's been inconsistent, but. I think that adding another ball handler for Philly is really powerful. Obviously, it is kind of weird that they traded Tony Bradley with Embiid out. I, I do have some questions there. And I don't know if Brozdakis is really going to, you know, do much. He was really good in the G League. I really enjoyed him with the Knicks. But I just have a little bit of questions on that because Tony Bradley had been killing it since Embiid went out. I mean, he just went eight for eight, had a really strong two-way performance the other night. Uh, granted, I think it was against, um, I'm blanking on who they played. It was on national television, but I just, I don't know. It was a good trade. I, I guess when Embiid's back, it's going to show a lot more dividends than now. Cole, any other thoughts to wrap up? Yeah, so I, I did like it, but I'm also in wait and see mode. I don't think George Hill is going to make a, a, a difference for the Sixers every night, but I think there will be some nights where he does really show up. I was taking a look at some of his synergy stuff. He rates out as excellent in spot-ups and very good in handoffs, which I think will be the main types of plays he's going to see here. Mm-hmm. Um, playing off of Simmons and Curry and Shake also see a ton of usage in the handoff department. Um, Curry grades out as excellent, whereas Shake is average. So I think having George Hill coming in and being a little bit better in Shake in that department is, is a plus. Um, and he's another body to throw in front of Kyrie and Drew. And he's, you know, he's also played against those guys in practice going back to when he was a part of the Cavs and then also the Bucks last year. Um, oh no, well, Drew wasn't there last year, but he played against Kyrie uh, in practice at times. So I like it. I'm also a little afraid that George Hill has kind of been where the, the championship hasn't in recent times. So I'm in <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you, Cole. The wait and see approach, not overreacting to that move, is definitely the, the right approach to take. I think you and I would have loved to see Kyle Lowry come home. And I, I think you would have been a fantastic contributor on the 76ers and, and might have been that one piece to, to push them over the top for a lot of the same reasons that we've laid out that George Hill can contribute to. It's just obviously Lowry has done those things a little more recently to a greater extent, and he even got championship pedigree. So that, that would have only fed into the winning culture that, that Doc has wanted to build for this team and that they've proven that they have built at least during the regular season, given that they're, they're still somehow atop the Eastern Conference with that Brooklyn juggernaut just slightly behind them. So we'll have to see how the rest of that plays out. But that's going to do it for our NBA trade deadline special. Rich, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know we pivoted to completely different topics at the last minute here this afternoon, but you were awesome contributing and I know that as much as you're a draft guy, you're potentially an even bigger NBA guy. So your thoughts were very much appreciated. Where can our audience find you on, on social media as well as um, in the podcasting sphere? Yeah, I'm at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Uh, it's where 99% of the times you'll see me or hear me comes from. And then I, uh, like you said at the beginning, I started on Locked On NBA Draft. Every Tuesday I'm on. Um, so if you, I mean, if you need any deep dives, I know you'll be on at some point too. We'll we'll have a collab. I hope uh, as the draft gets closer. Oh, you you will one hundred percent be back on our podcast. I can guarantee you that. We we need your. That's what we wanted you for in the first place. We wanted your draft thoughts. We will have you back <laughs> on for your draft thoughts. Absolutely, and and who knows? Maybe we'll find our way on your on your show as well. Maybe Cole and I will be back back on the Lot On Network. Who knows? But thank you so much again for everyone out there listening. You can find us on Twitter at Draft Deeper, like our Facebook page, subscribe to our show on any feed that you would wish to, any of your major podcasting feeds, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel. But seriously, follow us on Twitter, like the show, like a review, talk to us. That's that's a big reason why we wanted to start this platform. I explained that on multiple shows this week. We want to talk to you guys. We want to get better at doing this just like 
maybe, maybe we want to teach you a thing or two about scouting. So thank you so much, everyone, for paying attention, listening, and have a wonderful rest of your week.